I invite you guys to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to continue on our series. While you guys are turning there, I'll tell you a story. Uh, for those of you who think that I, I'm young and see me as young, uh, I got on a mechanical bull on Wednesday night a few times with the student ministry and then couldn't move my neck for two days. So uh, so if you think I'm young, that's fine. Please tell my body. You know, like I uh, couldn't move for a while. So 1 John chapter 2 has nothing to do at all with what we're talking about. Just thought you should know. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 12 is where we're going to be this morning. Again, continuing to, to go through 1 John where John is asking this question, whose side are you on? He's painted two groups of people. Those who know Christ and those who say they know Christ but don't. And he's asking the question, whose side are you on? Which group do you, do you fit into? 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 12 is where we're going to start. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let me pray for us, and we'll get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the love that you have for us, for the grace and the kindness that you have poured out upon us. And I thank you for your word that you speak to us through your word this morning, God. We pray that we would, we would hear from you this morning, God, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds, that you would, you would speak to our lives this morning, God, that you would, you would speak to us from your word, God. I pray that we would have ears that are open to hear what you're saying to us and hearts that are, that are ready to apply it. God, mold us and shape us in the image of Jesus. God, challenge us, confront us, encourage us, as we spend time in your word, God, let us experience your power, your love, and your grace through your word this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I, I've learned something about myself uh, not that long ago. Uh, I do not have a green thumb. Uh, I, I would like to think that I have a green thumb, but I realize that I, I don't. And the, I found that out actually, actually from you guys. Uh, because I, I don't know what month is Pastor Appreciation Month. I think it's October or something. It's not on my calendar or anything. Um, but but two years ago, for Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, our kids' ministry decorated this this potted plant and, and made it all nice and then put a note in there, something along the lines of, thank you for helping us grow or something. And it was very sweet, and I was very encouraged by it. And uh, and then I brought it home, and it died. It, it did not last for very long. Like, and now in my defense, I watered it every day. Like, I took care of it every day. I didn't, like, overwater it or anything, but I, I like, took care of it every day, was, was manicuring it. And then I went to Kentucky for two weeks, uh, and, and Kenzie did not water it, and it died. And, and so then I held, I held out hope. I was like, all right, well, maybe, maybe only one of us kills plants and not both of us, right? But then, well, but then Kenzie got a plant from her school, uh, and so we put it out there around the same time. We put this plant out there, and then both of us killed it together. Like, we both, we both nursed this thing straight into the ground. Like, like we do not have <laughs> green thumbs at all. And so, yeah, if you guys are thinking, like, I want to get Britain to plant, 
don't. So just get something else, you know. Save the money. Uh, it's not going to last very long. Yeah, I would like to be a gardener. Like, I would like to say that I can, I can garden, but I acknowledge a couple things. One, it's 110 degrees outside. Nothing I try to grow is going to, to grow. Uh, and there's zero shade in my backyard. And two, I'm probably going to kill it anyways. Like, it could be perfect conditions, and it probably wouldn't make it very long. Uh, so as much as I would like to have a green thumb, I don't. Now, here was the problem. Uh, I got back from Kentucky, and I had these two plants out there, uh, mine that was on the, on the verge of death, and then uh, Kenzie's that was, was vibrant and alive at this point. And, and I, because it was brand new, and I spent most of my time as I, was pr- as I was taking care of these plants, I spent most of my time and energy on the one that was almost dead trying to revive it, right? Like trying to, to watch the water levels, trying to watch the sunlight, trying to make sure that, that I did everything that I could to, to keep this plant alive. And, and because I was spending all of my time and energy and focus on this plant, uh, we ended up killing this one over here. <laughs> like the, the plant that was alive, the plant that had growth and vibrancy, uh, I didn't focus on it. Instead, focused on the one that was had, had a foot in the grave anyways, was going to die. And I held on to and clung to the thing that was dying, focused on it, poured my attention and energy on it, and I missed out on the thing that was alive. And, and we as people have a tendency to do this. This is a common trait that we tend to cling to things that are dying and we tend to ignore and miss out on things that are alive. So we, uh, this is a, a common thing in, in the stock market. This is something Warren Buffett talked about. Warren Buffett, the, the most successful trader in the stock market history, uh, he, he brought this up one time talking about traders, talking about the, the people on Wall Street who were trying to flip stocks and, and sell stocks when they made a profit or they'd, they'd hold on to stocks that were struggling just so that they'd hopefully turn around and they'd make a good amount of money. And, uh, and so Warren Buffett pointed out, he said, they're selling the good stocks and holding on to the bad ones. Like, like a stock goes up and they're selling it for a profit, but a stock goes down and they're just holding on to it. Like they're clinging on to what's dying, what's going down, and they're letting go of the things that are going up. <laughs> they are focusing on the things that are dying and instead of focusing on the things that are alive. And you and I do the same things in our lives, in our, in our walk with the Lord, in our, our encounters with the world. You and I have a tendency to cling to things that are dying, to cling to the things of the world, to cling to things that are passing away. We have a tendency to put our focus and our energy and our effort on things that do not profit, that cannot give life, that cannot give joy. We cling to things that are dying, and we miss out on the joy of focusing and turning towards life. This is what I want us to see this morning from, the, from 1 John chapter 2. You can cling to what's dying, or you can turn toward life. You can hold on and put your focus and attention and energy on things that aren't going to give life, that aren't going to give hope, that aren't going to give joy. You can hold on to those things, or you can turn your attention and your focus towards the things that are going to provide life. What John gives us in this passage are what to focus on and what not to focus on. He gives us this image of, of these are the things that are give life and these are the things that are dying. And he points out that we should focus on these things and we shouldn't focus on the things that are dying because so many of us will cling to what's dying instead of turning to what's alive. And so that's what John does this morning. And in, in, uh, beginning in verse 12, he gives us what we should focus on. What are the things that we should give our focus and attention and energy to? And he begins in verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, for his name's sake. So what John is doing here, if you remember what we've talked about up to this point in the book of 1 John, 
John wrote this letter because the church that John is writing to experienced a split. Uh, this church had a, a really dramatic break where there was a group of people in the church that were teaching things that weren't true about Jesus. They were teaching things that were, were false. They were, they, they, were, they were harsh and rude and, and hostile to the, to the other people in the church. And then eventually that group broke off and they just left. You know, they formed Second Baptist Church or whatever, you know, like that, that they, they, they split off or this church had had uh, no offense to any Second Baptist churches out there. Um, they uh, they 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 had these teachings of things that weren't of God and hostility and eventually they split off. And now this church is reeling They're They're hurting They're 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 wondering, like, do we make the right decision? Are we on the right side of this? Are we are we are, are we on are on God's side? And all of this, and then John, he opens up his letter talking about these two groups of people, those who know God and those who just say they know God but don't. And, he's, and he opens the letter causing all of us to question our salvation, saying, which group are you in? Are you in this group that knows Christ? Or are you in this group that just says you know Christ but, but doesn't? Which group are you in? And so at this point, like they're, they're reeling, they're hurting, they've gone through this difficult split, they, they're wondering if they're on the right side of things. Now John is, is causing them to question their salvation, and, and he's given them some pieces of evidence to be able to answer that question. He said, Do, have you been changed by the gospel? Because if you've been changed, then you know Christ. If you haven't been changed by the gospel, then you're likely just saying you know Christ. He gives this other piece of evidence. Do you love the people of God? Because God's people love God, loves God, God's people love God's people. And if you don't love God's people, if you have hatred or, or antipathy towards God's people, then it's likely that you aren't part of God's people. And he's given these pieces of evidence. But again, this group of people, they're hurting, they're reeling, they're questioning, they're struggling. In John, beginning in verse 12, if you see, I don't know, depending on what translation you have, 12 through 14, uh, if you have the ESV, it writes, it, 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 it composes it kind of like a poem, structures it on your page like it's a poem. And that's essentially what it is. John writes this little poem to the church to comfort them and to reassure them. He starts out by saying, I'm writing you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Now the word because there, I'm going to get really technical here for a minute. I don't usually get into the Greek, but I'll, I'll get technical here for a minute. That word because there is the Greek word hoti, H-O-T-I. And it's a very important Greek word that can be translated a couple different ways. So it can be translated because, like, the reason that I'm writing to you is this, or it can be translated that. I'm writing to you, and then here's what I'm writing to you. So it'd be like, it's the difference of saying, I'm you know, if I called you up and said, hey, I'm calling you because your house is on fire, um, you could probably infer what I'm telling you. I'm telling you your house is on fire. But I could say, I'm calling you because your house is on fire. How are you doing? How's life? You know, like, like I just triggered in my mind, oh, I should call this person. Like, uh, that, that could be, uh, the, the prompting of the call was the fact that the house is on fire, but that has nothing to do with what I'm saying, you know. Uh, or me s calling you up and saying, hey, I'm, ca I'm calling you that your house is on fire. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you your house is on fire. Uh, those, that's a slight difference between the two translations, but it matters because I think uh, the, the better translation of these verses, instead of because, would be that. The idea is, is I'm writing to you this. I'm writing to you, little children, that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Because what John is doing is encouraging them. He is, he, is, he is uplifting them and reassuring them. He's being very pastoral and kind and uplifting in what he's, 
what he's preaching and what he's saying here. This is uh, this would be very much, and I'm sorry for anyone who watches on YouTube later. I'm going to go off camera here for a minute, but this would be very much like like John walking around and saying, "Angie, I write to you that you love the Lord, and it's amazing to see how much you care for the church and how much you you're always willing to serve other people." Uh, it'd be like like John saying, "Donna, I write to you." that you have a passion for the Lord and you are always asking questions and learning and growing more in Christ and you are bringing the rest of us along with you. Right? It would be like John writing, Jeff and Lily, I write to you that you two are growing in Christ and you are leading other people along with you in an amazing way as you lead the students and as you encourage other people. Like You two are both growing in the Lord and, and, and leading other people with you. It'd be like John writing, Steve, you have a passion for the kingdom of God and you are doing an amazing job of trying to maximize your impact for the kingdom of God and everything that you do. It would be like John writing, uh, Kenzie, you are, <laughs> I love you. Uh, so <laughs> you, you may not have a green thumb, but I love you so much. I don't either. We're perfect for each other. Um, and this is, this, is, this is John encouraging and uplifting each other. Uh, he, he is encouraging the church. He's telling them, look, guys, you're wondering if you're on the right side of this. You're wondering if you, if you are loved by God, if you're wondering if you're a part of God's people. And, and he is writing here and saying, guys, on a, on a grand scale, I'm not talking about every individual, but on a grand scale, little children, your sins have been forgiven. You are on the right side of this. You are the people of God. And it's this wonderful, beautiful encouragement to the people in the church. He's, and, and, and in this encouragement that he gives them, he gives us three things that we should focus on, three things that we should keep our attention to, three things that matter for us, where if we put our focus and attention on these, these things, they're going to, to, to provide life. This is turning toward life. What should we focus on? The first thing we should focus on is the forgiveness of sins. We should focus on the fact that our sins are forgiven. This is what he says in verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. That your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So the first thing he points out to the church is, hey, let me encourage you with this. If you've placed your faith and hope in Jesus, your sins are forgiven for, God, for the sake of God's name. Like you have been washed clean of all sin and brokenness like you have been forgiven before god this is something that we talk about a lot that we regularly bring up if you've spent any time in church you probably have an idea of the forgiveness of sins but don't don't let the normality of it overshadow the power of it like like your sins are forgiven in jesus the bible says that that you and I were sinners against God, that we were rebels against him. If we were to write out our sins, all the times that we've rejected God, all the times that we haven't treated God with uh, the authority and the praise and the glory that he's due, all of the times that we've done things that, that do not bring him honor, all of the times we've done things he's said not to do, and we were to write it out on one of those kind of old-time scrolls that you can, you can roll out, we could start at the top and we could roll that list out the door and watch it cross 114 and cross the horizon and never see it again. Like the list of our sins before God are massive. We are sinners before. This is, Jesus tells a parable where he talks about the forgiveness and the debt that we've been forgiven. And the example he uses is this guy that has amassed trillions of dollars of debt. Like something that, that you would never be able to pay off in, in a thousand lifetimes. Like this is something that, that, that is a picture of the debt that we have to God. The sin that we have before him. This, this 
uh, uh, ir- irreparable stain, like this, this problem of sin before God. And the Bible says that if you place your faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible says that your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west. They never meet. They never come back together. It says in Romans 8, chapter 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You, you are freed from sin. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. The, you, are, you are clean in the eyes of God. You are righteous in the eyes of God. There's no longer guilt and shame that you carry around because you have been forgiven by Jesus. When we focus on the fact that we have forgiveness of sins, it allows us to, to no longer carry around the guilt and the shame and the worry that we carry around. It allows us to live in freedom, knowing that we have been set free by Jesus, that we have been forgiven, that we are righteous in the eyes of God, that we are clean in his eyes, and we don't have to carry around guilt. We don't have to carry around shame. We don't have to carry around brokenness. We can go before God and know that our sins have been forgiven. When we focus on that, that changes everything for us. It changes our hearts changes our lives. Our sins are forgiven. The second thing John tells us to focus on is a relationship with God. Verse 13. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Again, at the end of verse 13. I write to you children because you know the father. Verse 14. I write to you fathers that you know him who is from the beginning. So this idea pops up multiple times and in fact it's kind of the centerpiece of the of the poem because he repeats it and uh, with the fathers because you know him who's from the beginning again the second time he says i write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning that's the this centerpiece of the poem this thing he brings up over and over again is that you have a relationship with god you know him who's from the beginning you know the father it's this beautiful idea that you have a a right relationship with God through Jesus. I've said this before, and and I'll say it again. The most amazing and important thing that happens when you place your faith in Jesus is not that you get an entrance ticket into heaven or that you get out of going to hell. The most amazing, important thing that happens when you place your faith in Jesus is that you have a restored relationship with God. Now, if you are... Uh, if you're married, let's say you, ha- you, you have to spend, uh, you'll spend the night on the couch because you're fighting with your spouse. Now, I want to say uh, that as believers, people who, who know Christ and the gospel as center in your marriage, uh, hopefully we can, we can highlight Christ as core. We can talk through things a- with the gospel uh, as central. Uh, hopefully Kenzie doesn't hurt me because of the, uh, the comment I made about the green thumb thing. Like, like, uh, we, with, when Christ is central in your relationship, no one has to sleep on the couch is the, the general point I'm making. But just for the sake of this, this argument, uh, this analogy, let's say you as a, as a spouse, you have to sleep on the, the couch one night because you're, uh, you're fighting with your spouse. The problem for you is not where you have to spend the night. <laughs> right? The problem is not that you have to sleep on the couch instead of the bed. The problem is that you have a ruptured relationship with the person in the bed. <laughs> 
The problem is that you have a ruptured relationship with your spouse, a separated relationship with your spouse, and that has led to you sleeping in a different spot. But the real problem is not where you're laying your head down. The real problem is that you don't have a restored relationship with your spouse. The problem for us as people is not that we're going to hell instead of going to heaven. The problem for us as people is not our eternal destination. Our problem as people is that we have a ruptured relationship with the one who dwells in heaven. We have a broken relationship with the one who's going to live in his eternal kingdom for all of eternity. And if we have a ruptured relationship with him, if we are separated from him, then the natural course of things is that we're going to end up spending eternity separated from God in hell. If we have a ruptured relationship with the one who dwells in the eternal kingdom, then we can't live in the eternal kingdom with him. So our greatest problem is not our eternal destination. It's not hell looming on the horizon. Our greatest problem is a ruptured relationship with God, and that's what Jesus fixes with his death and resurrection on the cross. What he does for you is not just open the gates of heaven and shut the gates of hell for you. What he does for you is restores your relationship with God, brings you into fellowship with your creator, allows you to know him, to to have a relationship with him. You can have fellowship with God. And when we think about the fellowship that we have with God, this is something that John has already, a point that he's already made and something he will continue to make throughout the book of 1 John. When we have fellowship with God, that changes us. Like you want to be different, you want to grow in your walk with the Lord, you want to grow and be shaped in the image of Jesus, you want to have answers for your marriage, you want to have answers for your parenting you want to have answers for your job like you want to grow and look more like christ the way you're going to do that is by focusing on the fact that you have a relationship with god that you have fellowship with the creator that by the holy spirit dwelling in you god dwells in you and you are known by him and loved by him and he is pouring out grace and kindness and love upon you you have fellowship with the creator third thing that John points out and tells us to focus on uh, is victory over Satan. You see this <coughs> verse 13, that second part of verse 13. He says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Second half of verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. The idea is that we as believers through Jesus have overcome the evil one. We have victory over Satan in Jesus. The Bible says all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is prophesying about what Jesus is going to do, and he tells the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 from, from the Garden of Eden, the serpent who tempted Eve, the serpent who introduced sin and death in the world through Adam and Eve's sin, like this serpent who we know from Revelation is, the, is, is Satan, is the devil, like this serpent, God tells him that he will put enmity or hostility between him and the, and the woman, him and, and the woman's offspring singular offspring and the, the idea there specifically is jesus there will be hostility between jesus and satan and and he says that offspring will uh, that, that excuse me the serpent will bruise the offspring on the heel but the offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent and, and that picture comes to fruition at the cross 
that Satan gets one good lick in with Jesus, right? Like he, he bruises Jesus on the heel. Jesus dies on a cross. And yet Jesus rose again from the grave three days later. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 that when Jesus rose from the grave, he made a mockery, open shame, a fool out of the principalities and the authorities in the spiritual realm. All of the demonic forces, all of the enemies of God, Satan himself, he, made, he put them to open shame. He made a fool out of all of them because they thought they won when Jesus was in the grave. And three days later, he walked right out. By his death and resurrection, Je- Jesus gives victory over Satan. He gives victory over the power of sin and death. Paul points forward to this day in Romans chapter 15 when he says that, that when Christ returns, it will, it will be said, this is something he quotes from the book of Hosea, that, that on that day it will come to fruition that people will ask, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh hell, where is your victory? Because Jesus has given victory over death and Satan. What that means for you and me. is that if we have placed our faith in Jesus, we are no longer bound by sin. We're no longer bound to to follow temptation. We are no longer stuck with who we are or what we've done. If you feel like you just can't shake a sin, like you are trapped by it and you just can't seem to get out of it, know that Jesus has already given victory over Satan. He's already given victory over sin and death. You already have victory in Jesus over that sin. The only thing keeping you there is yourself. Jesus has already given you victory over it. Same thing that that Jesus says, or or, or same thing for us later on, is the idea that if you you feel defeated, if you feel like you are trapped, if you feel like you, you are stuck being the person that you are, or you're stuck with your your negative tendencies or your bad habits or your, the things that clearly don't look like Jesus, but you say, well, you know, that's just who I am. If you feel like you're stuck in those things, know that, that Jesus has already given victory over all of those things because he's given victory over Satan. He's given victory over death. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have overcome the evil one. You have victory over Satan. You have victory over sin. You have victory over death. And when we focus on the fact that we have victory over sin and death, then that's going to change the way that we live. Like when we face temptation, we know that we can get out of it because Jesus has already given us victory over it. He's already made a way of escape. So if we want to grow, if we want to find life and joy, if we want to walk in the way that God has called us to walk, then we should focus on the fact that we have forgiveness of sins because of Jesus, that we no longer have to carry around guilt and shame. And we focus on the fact that we have a relationship with God, fellowship with the Father, that that he changes us and molds us and shapes us from the inside out. And we focus on the fact that we have victory over Satan because of Jesus, that there is no more death and and sin and, and temptation that can overcome us. John points out the fact that you and I don't always focus on the right things, though. We don't always turn toward life, and sometimes we cling to what's dying. And he points this out in verse 15. These are the things that we should not focus on, beginning in verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
the idea that he says is do not love the world because if, if you are consumed by the world, if you are overflowing with love for the things of the world, then it's evidence that, that the love of God is not in you. Because it's funny, it's just, he says this, it's very straightforward. The things of the world are of the world. <laughs> the things that are world are from the world. They're not from the Father. And so if we have fellowship with the Father, if we have the love of the Father, we're going to begin to walk away from the things of the world. But if we love the things of the world, if that consumes us, if that is all our desires and all of our hope and all of our attention and energy is put on the things of the world, then that's evidence that we, we are focusing on the wrong things and evidence that we don't actually have the love of the Father in the first place. But even as people who've been rescued from sin and death, even as people who have turned from the things of the world and trusted in God, you and I still have a tendency to go back and focus on the wrong things. We still have the tendency to turn and to cling to things that, like he says in verse 17, the things of the world are passing away along with, its, with their desires. We cling to the things that are dying. And these are the things that we will sometimes cling to, these three things that we are not supposed to focus on in verse 16, the desires of the flesh. This is what our, our body wants. The more specifically, what, what John probably has in mind here is lust. The general idea of uh, desires of the flesh, lust. We live in a society, in a culture that is uh, obsessed with sexuality. And we have made sex and sexuality a, a major category of life. We've, we've revolved things around it. We've made it identities that, that shape and form who we are. Uh, and all of us, like we, we, our media is obsessed with it. We have a, a country where the pornography industry is massive. W a country where the divorce rates are sky high and affairs are, are often normalized or, uh, or celebrated. Like we live in a society where, where sex and sexuality are a huge uh, factor of the way that we live and the way that we speak and the things that we see and the things that we watch. The desires of the flesh are what rule a lot of people. And John is saying, he's not saying that sex is bad. In fact, you could read Song of Solomon. Like God, God designed sex within a marriage between a man and a woman to be this beautiful, glorifying thing that, that, that uh, points at the, the intimacy that you can have with God and reminds your spouse just how loved and close they can be with the Father. Like this, sex is meant to be this beautiful image within a marriage. But what we often do is we allow the desires of the flesh to to pull us and drag us and drive us, and we focus our attention on the desires of the flesh. And so there are people, uh, even believers, who will go into pornography, believers who will, who will go into affairs, believers who will, uh, who, will, uh, who will sleep with people outside of marriage. Like We focus our attention and our efforts and our desires. Like that, that, the, the thing that consumes our mind is desires of the flesh. What John is saying is that that doesn't provide life. Those desires are passing away with the rest of the world. Those things aren't going to give you hope. Those things aren't going to give you life. Those things aren't going to give you joy because those things don't proceed from the Father. Those things don't come from Him. When abused and used outside of where God designed, like that twisting and that perverting does not come from the Father, and so it cannot provide life. It can't provide hope. It can't provide joy. And yet we cling to it. John is saying, turn away 
from the desires of the flesh. Leave those behind and focus on these things instead, the things that are going to provide life. Second thing to turn from, second thing not to focus on, are the desires of the eyes. These are the things that you can see, the things that you want. This is materialism, saying that, that I want to accumulate stuff. I want to accumulate a, a nice bank account. I want to accumulate toys and houses and real estate. I want to accumulate all of these things. And John makes the very compelling point. All of those things are passing away. So we put all of our energy, all of our focus, all of our attention on gathering things, on the desires of the eyes, we're going to be left with nothing because all of those things are passing away. Again, we can cling to what's dying or we can turn toward life. The third thing is very similar to the second one. It's the pride of life. The, uh, that's a tough thing to translate, but essentially what he probably means there is this, that the arrogance that comes from having things, <laughs> the, the pridefulness and the security of, of, of material wealth, this is someone who, who feels like, you know, I'm, I'm good because, you know, look at what I have. Look at the life that I've made for myself. Look at the bank account that I've, I've gathered. Look at my portfolio. Look at the cars that I've bought. Look at the house that I have. Look at, look at all of these things. I'm good. I'm secure. I'm, I, in fact, I might flaunt it a little bit. Like I'm doing pretty good for myself. Uh, our community, as we, uh, early on when I was here, we looked at community surveys and and looking at, at w what our community is like. And this is one of the number one issues in our community. Like it, within a five-mile radius of this church, the pride of life is a major problem. Or it's not, you know, not everybody across the board, but, but there is a, a major issue of, of wanting to be secure in finances, of, 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 of puffing out your chest and showing, you know, look at what I bought, look at what I have, look at the cars I drive, look at the house that I have, look at the things that I bought. Like we, we puff out our chest and we proclaim those things and we really show it off. Like our community is uh, within five miles of this building, fabulously wealthy compared to the rest of the state of Texas and the country. And yet this community also struggles with insane amounts of debt because our community has a tendency to buy things they can't afford, to puff out their chest and keep up with the Joneses. Uh, Kenzie and I, uh, we own a, uh, an old Toyota Corolla, and uh, it is, it's a super reliable car. We actually love the car. Just passed 200,000 miles, which is awesome. Hoping to have it for 200 more, you know? Um, she might not want it for 200 more, but it'd be nice. Uh, but, and then uh, it's, it's a great car. It's a great car. On the, uh, on the outside, uh, it's, it's seen better days. Kenzie used to drive on I-35 every day while I was under construction to go to work and there were rocks everywhere so it's 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 had some 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 dings and dents here and there um so it's it's seen better days on, on the outside great car runs great like i said just crossed two hundred thousand miles very thankful for it um occasionally kenzie and i will go to dinner in south lake you know we might like we might go to to the cheesecake factory in that nice area over there and uh, and so we'll drive and I, I every time we drive that car it onto the the parking lot like it feels like we're out of place you know like, like, we should not, they're going to kick us out. <laughs> like this, uh, I parked next to a Maserati. You know, like, 
those cars are six figures apart in in value. Like it feels like I shouldn't be allowed to park. Like it shouldn't have this this Corolla next to a next to a Maserati. It shouldn't be allowed. But what we see a lot in our community, in those cars and in the in the people, not necessarily. Again, there's nothing inherently wrong with with nice houses, nice cars, those kind of things. But what we see a lot in our community is a puffing out the chest and a pride and a comfortability that comes with knowing, look at the life I've built. Look at what I've accumulated. Look at what I have. John is saying, all of that is passing away. That is an empty pride, a baseless pride, because the things that we're puffing out our chest for, the things that we're comfortable in, the things that we're secure in, they're all going away. They don't proceed from the Lord. They, they're the things of the world, and the word world is dying. <laughs> so we can cling to what's dying. We can focus on the things that will not provide life, or we can turn toward life. For every single one of you this morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then all that you have are the things that are dying. <laughs> the, all that you have clung to are things that are passing away. And what God is calling you to do for the very first time is to experience life to make the turn and to see that you can have forgiveness of sins in Jesus. You can have a relationship with God because of Jesus. You can have victory over Satan through Jesus. And so this morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then what I'm inviting you to do, in a second we're going to sing. And while we sing, I would love for you to come up. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you after the service about what it means to follow Jesus and turn to life and experience the life that comes from him. But don't leave here this morning with a handful of things that are dying instead of turning to life in Jesus. And if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, then I know that you, you you know life is in Christ, you know your sins are forgiven, you have fellowship with God, you have victory over Satan, but I know there are going to be things in your life that you're clinging to. Things in the world that are dying that you still capture your attention, that still capture your focus. And what God is calling you to do this morning is to turn from those things. Stop clinging to what's dying and turn to where there's life. Stop putting your focus and energy and attention on things that are just passing away and instead divert your gaze to Jesus and know that you have forgiveness of sins so you don't have to carry around guilt and shame. Know that you have uh, fellowship with God so that you will grow in your relationship with Jesus. You will grow to look more like Christ as you focus on your fellowship with him and know that you have victory over sin and death so you don't have to be trapped and stuck in a life that doesn't honor him. So this morning, as we, as we sing, I want you to spend a second, just lift up a prayer to God. Turn the things in your life that you're focusing on that aren't him, turn those over to him. Let go of clinging to the things that are dying. Lay those before the throne and then erupt in praise and glory and honor to Jesus. The altar is open if you would like to come down to the steps and, and pray and turn some things over to the Lord. Or you can pray in your seat, but spend some time turning things over to the Lord. Letting go of the things that are dying and turning to where there's life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the life that we have in Jesus, that there's forgiveness of sin, that there's fellowship with the Father, that there's a victory over Satan and sin and death. God, that there's life in Jesus. And I pray that every single person in this room would focus on and experience the life that comes from Christ. God, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you and has never entered into that life for the very first time, God, I pray that this morning would be the morning that they know the life that is found in Jesus. God, for the the believer in here who knows you but feels trapped by sin, the believer in here who knows you but is stubbornly clinging on to things that are dying, God, I pray that this morning you would loosen the grip. 
and you would allow that believer to experience the joy and the life that come from you. God, I pray that you would convince us to stop missing out on the joy that we have in you. God, I pray that this room would be a room full of people that know the life they have. A room full of people with eyes fixed on you. A room full of people living for eternity today with eyes fixed on Jesus with the life that you provide, the grace and the joy and the peace that you offer. God, we love you and praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.